Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 1025 with Prakash Karam Chandani. Yes, you're hearing that name again recently. So uh, this is actually a repurposed recording of an event network. Uh, it's a great ep- I guess, example. Um, it exemplifies what we want to do going forward in the network where uh, it really reflects what's happening on the show. And the way... And I have to give this credit to Jared Parisi, our editor and copywriter. He and I, I do love being compared to Indiana Jones. Not gonna lie. Uh, so think of Restaurant Unstoppable podcast as a as a Indiana Jones. I'm Indiana Jones. I'm going out into the world. I'm finding these artifacts, these clues, and then I'm bringing them back to the university, aka the network, to unpackage these clues. Uh, these experts, these archaeologists, are teaching us and. Uh, we're just, we're helping you restaurant owners across the country find access to these best in class restaurateurs. And we're just slowing down. We're going deep. We're paying it forward. We're closing the knowledge gap. I want you to be a part of it. So today's recording, today's episode is a conversation with Prakash, a Q&A. So obviously, if you did not catch Prakash Chamdani's first episode, uh, search his name, find his episode. It was not long ago. I want to say in the, the 900s, I, the specific episode number is escaping my head. Uh, but we had such a great time with him, and he's doing so many, so many cool things. Uh, th- these are the kind of people I want to make an example of. So we, we invited him back because the network asked for it. Um, And this is really my role. I see my role as being somebody who's here to serve you, our listeners, by helping you connect with the people I've learned. Uh, You know, I don't claim to have all the answers, but I know that I'm about one degree removed from most of the answers. So let's let's put this to use. I hope you enjoy this recording. And if you did enjoy this recording and you, you hope that you were in this conversation or you wish to be a part of future conversations, then after this episode, head over to restaurantstoppablenetwork.com, join the network, or go to the show notes episode um, 10,025, sorry, 10,000, 1,025, and... Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes for you to get 30-day trial to the network. Can't wait to see you there. Enjoy this conversation. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Look, there is a lot of elements to consider when growing your restaurant. Like, are you connecting with your diners and with the right message? And could your kitchen put out more orders than your dining room has room for? There's so much to consider, and it can be overwhelming when you got into this business for the food and the people. And that's why I recommend Pop Menu. And that's why restaurants get Pop Menu, frankly. Pop Menu is technology for restaurants that are ready to grow. For a limited time, get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. 
Restaurant owners and operators, you can make a difference in the lives of your staff and their families by supporting CORE, which stands for Children of Restaurant Employees. CORE is a national nonprofit that provides financial grants to food and beverage service employees with children when either the employee, their child, or their partner faces a life-altering medical crisis or natural disaster. Not only can you share CORE as a benefit in resource with your staff, you can also donate directly or host a fundraising promotion. Core critically needs your financial support to continue to provide relief to restaurant employees that qualify for a grant when life does not go as planned. Support of Core allows you to give back to your employees and restaurant families across the country. Visit coregives.com org to learn more together we can make a difference in the lives of those who serve us daily this episode is brought to you by reachify why are you still taking phone calls when you have online services that can support the majority of your guest needs redirect your callers so you can focus on the food and the guests across the counter reachify is powerful and flexible for example with advanced automation and caller deflection reachify prevents missed caller opportunities and diverts callers to online actions Reachify also simplifies workflows for your team, enabling them to operate more efficiently to attract, retain, and engage callers effectively. Reachify, be in control of the conversation you want to have when you're able to have them. Hop on to reachify.io slash unstoppable to find out how to revolutionize the way your restaurant does business. And when you use that link, get one month free after onboarding. That's reachify.io slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit. Profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. We are back with Prakash Karam Chandani, and we are diving into where we left off during his interview there was such great advice that came in during this episode if you guys did not check it out it was episode 1007 listen to that episode uh there's some amazing stuff dropped by our guest today prakash but uh we're gonna pick up where we left off and we asked you our network to kind of ask some of the questions uh that you would have if prakash came back and you gave us those questions so we're gonna actually dive into those questions i'm not gonna lie i had it all pulled up and i got distracted and i and i destroyed my window but now it's back so the first question came in from ronnie dingman ronnie um said honestly i just want more info on how they got uh the aquaponics farm going and how as a restaurant tour they figure out how to make all that work do they employ agriculturalists how does that integrate into the books? Is the farm a 
separate business or is it under the restaurant umbrella? And I should say, uh, Prakash, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. I forgot to actually give you a chance to say hello. How are you, my yeah. man? I'm doing great, man. I'm feeling unstoppable. Dude, th- thank you so much for making time and uh, being continuously so generous with your time and your, your your wisdom. So what do you have to say to Ronnie and his question? So uh, this was the question that I read um, on the Unstoppable Network beforehand. So uh, I actually stopped down here at the farm so I could record this down here. Nice. Um, first question, how did we get into it? Um, we've always been passionate about sourcing local. My business partner, uh, he is kind of like obsessive about what he does when he gets into sourcing products, designing his menu, stuff like that. And um, so I've met a lot of local producers here. And one day he had me come down and check out where he's getting microgreens from. And the guy was growing aquaponically. His name is Dan. He's now our operating partner down here at the farm. And um, so we basically teamed up and grew his existing business. Um, His was much smaller, like one fifteenth the size of uh, what we put together now. And um, as far as like some of the more specific questions, yes, it's a separate business entity. Um, it's its own LLC. It has just like a supplier vendor relationship, just like any of our other um, supplier vendors that go into the restaurants do. What we actually do is we supply out to our produce vendor and they carry our uh, entire SKU list. And we buy some of those items back into the restaurant. So we don't really have to deal with the distribution of it either. So you sell to the distributor and then buy from the distributor as two yeah. separate entities. Is it under mm-hmm. the same business or two different businesses? Two different businesses. So there's Balance Farms LLC, super creative name. Uh, and then our different restaurants buy from our uh, food service distributor, one of them. So do you plan on taking it all under your roof eventually or do you like the way it's set up right now i like the way it's set up separate assets finance differently um i like to segment each one of my revenue streams into its own llc to an extent i mean what's the benefit of that uh really just risk management streamlined accounting um you know we have different like for example i mentioned here at the farm we have an operating partner so he's under an operating contract um, and so we want to keep that completely segmented, the assets completely segmented, the financing for those assets completely segmented. So we don't end up crossing, um, you know, collateral basically. Yeah. When it comes time to get other loans. I mean, in my mind, it's almost like, it's almost like if you're, if you're using, I'm a big fan of profit first, I echo it all the time. But if you have different businesses that are vertically integrated, in my mind, it makes sense to keep everything separate for one major reason to keep, you know, just to, to organize the cash flow in, a, in an organized yeah. way uniformly. But two, if you have partners for one business, but they're not significant to all the businesses, then they can have equity in that element of the business. Um, so, I mean, is that on your radar? Is that part of the reason why? Or Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. We want to make sure that any of our agreements don't end up carrying over to another LLC intentionally, unintentionally, just keeping it all clean and segmented is really important. And um, I think vertical integration is great. I think it's anybody who's like really obsessed about the details as uh, I self-admittedly am. Um, vertical integration can also get dangerous though. So one of the things that we want to do is make sure anytime that we move up, so we have our own distribution uh, network warehouse, we 
bring in, aggregate all of our proprietary items. Sometimes we move products around, things like that. That business entity needs to stand on its own, at least needs to break even, if not turn a small profit. And the same thing for the farm. If not, it just become a cost center. And we want to make sure that our restaurants, uh, P&Ls are super clean as well. Have you heard of an LLC series? I've heard of it. My lawyer told me about it, said that they're new to Ohio. Um, I haven't gotten super into it. From my understanding, it's one LLC. You get one EIN. Jesus, I can't think today. One EIN number. And that EIN number is good for all the LLCs, but they're still treated as separate businesses. Bob, you might know something about this. It's a new structural format where you can keep the corporate bails in place uh, without having to file individual uh, employer ID numbers. So, yeah, uh, they just they just use it for uh, conglomerates that are are going into multiple uh, industry sites at the same time. Uh, they may be interrelated; they may not be, uh, but just for ease of reporting. They do it on a series basis, so it's yeah. That's it's, definitely a, a it's a model I want to look more into. Um, instead of trying to cre- having to go and and register a different LLC with under and get a new EIN for every segmented LLC, I love that idea of just having one and kind of have, well, being protected. It, yeah, it's two businesses separate. Two, it, yeah, when you when you structure the corporations, it's a two step process. Uh, you formulate the LLC in whatever jurisdiction you choose, and and then you would opt to file for an EIN number. And historically, those have always been done at the same time or one right after the other. So now you don't have to do that. You only have to do the EIN once. Got it. Uh, That's I'm bring it. Yeah. Um, I do there, have a, a little bit of that. I don't I don't think it's a series LLC, but in Toledo, we have a number of restaurants, three of them, and we share employees across all of them. So they're all underneath the holding company. The holding company has an EIN number. The sub entities for each individual restaurant don't. Um, we do that really just for payroll purposes. Um, but each one of the individual LLCs still has its own you know, leases, uh, everything segmented, utility bills, everything segmented, vendor agreements, all that kind of stuff. Uh, a lot of restaurants in a, in a regional area, Brush, uh, do it for uh, payment of uh, sales tax. Hmm. Yeah, it's cool. I'll definitely have to ask about that. See if yeah, I'm interested to learn more. Let, let me know if you find anything good. Uh, so I think bringing it back to this list of questions we have to work through, I think we kind of wrapped up with what Ronnie Dingman had to ask. Um can I ask Go one similar to, or kind of in the vein of what Ronnie said, asked, so how did, I feel like that would have had to have been a huge learning curve to like learn how to grow vegetables or grow all the ingredients that you need. So like how, I guess, where did that happen? Who did that? And how does that work? Yeah, bringing in an operating partner who kind of already knew what he was doing was important. But I will say, for me personally, it kind of came full circle. Um, you had asked me earlier before we got started if I'm married and uh, answer yes. But when we initially got married, my friend gave me like this jellyfish tank as a wedding present. And I couldn't keep these jellyfish alive, but I got super into aquariums at that time. 
And then even before that, I before I got into the restaurant business or before I even got into IT, uh, my parents really wanted me to go to med school. So I have a biology and chemistry undergraduate degrees. Uh, and that was before I got into finance. So for a long time, I kind of thought maybe that was like a big waste uh, of my time and effort. But it's kind of come full circle. And uh, I use that knowledge uh, all the time. But um it's it's constant learning and um there's like ag extensions locally so ohio state university has an ag extension and i call them up and they answer questions for me and uh youtube's also your best friend Mm -hmm. so you really are i mean you are involved in the details of like learning how figuring out how that works and, and executing it along with your partner yeah yeah that's amazing that is a, I'm trying to grow a vegetable garden and it's such a pain in the butt. So I can't imagine. You said, sure. I mean, I'm into it. It's cool. It's yeah, pretty cool. Awesome. You guys have to go check it out if you're ever in Toledo for sure. Um, so I, looking at the questions that came in through the network and the chat that's going on to stay in the same, to continue in this vein of business entities structure, uh, I want to bring on Sean, uh, just to make sure, are there any elements that we haven't answered? Because you kind of, kind of looks like you're more, you, you continue to be interested in this idea of LLCs and different companies and how you structure it. Daniel came in asking for more of this too. So I believe both Danny and Sean are here. So I'm just going to let you guys come on and ask the specific question you haven't heard the answer to. Starting with Sean. Um, yeah, go yeah. for it. Um, yeah, no, I'm just curious, like you have a, a lot going on from the vertical integration to the growth of the company to some things that we probably don't know about. Um, I guess how many LLCs do you have and like, how has it assisted um, with scaling or has, are there any cautionary tales? I know you mentioned something with the vertical integration piece, but um, I guess any other precautions when doing the route that you're going as well. So the story, like kind of the benefits and the downfalls. Um, yeah. So right now I just had to like count them out. I've got like nine of them, um, different LLCs that totally comprise the whole enterprise. I wouldn't say there's any downsides, uh, aside from just like extra accounting, um, that has to be there and keeping track of intercompany transactions and stuff. One thing that makes having all these LLCs really easy is we have, a uh, there's a concept called common ownership. So if, a number of the shareholders have the same equity interests. You can carry a lot of things across. Like, for example, our employee benefits and stuff. I say you can, you have to. So, like, uh, if a lawyer was on here, he'd be like, that's a downside. I say that's an upside because I don't want to have different uh, employee counts for things like benefits. But for, I guess... I'll tell you one other good thing is a long time ago, uh, one of our attorneys told us, you know, you should segment all of your intellectual property into a separate entity. And that's really been helpful um, because one, we can charge our own stores a royalty fee uh, or a license fee to be more technical about it. Um, and two, as we continue to develop intellectual property, it just automatically falls underneath that LLC. And third, um, when it came time to franchise, uh, which we started doing earlier this year, it was really easy to segment off everything that my partner and I have built to this point uh, and then provide just the brand license to a new entity. Um, and it just makes things, again, just like a lot cleaner. 
Sean, did you want to follow up? No, I think that's great. When we obviously, I'm just the very beginnings, right? I have one restaurant trying trying to go to two, and yeah, someday three. Um, and I've heard similar advice, and I've have a background in finance and that type of thing. So it kind of struck a chord of like things I'm just barely touching on. But um, yeah, I'm a risk averse person, but also obviously risky enough to start a business. But so yeah, this is, it's really interesting to me. As somebody else is yeah. kind of technology focused who does the same thing. For sure. So, I mean, I, I think about the stage that you're at and what I was thinking about at that time. For one, even if you have the same ownership or you finance it the same way or you plan on leveraging the cash flow from your first store to finance your second, you talked a bit about being risk adverse. And so every time you generate a revenue stream in some way, shape or form, you're generating a risk uh, that goes along with that. So the reason you would want to have a different LLC for your second store and not just group all the assets together um, is if somebody has like a slip and fall accident or something like that at your first location, you don't want that falling over into your second location and vice versa. Um, you can still, you know, have what are called UCC filings or, you know, at your bank, they can collateralize the assets of your first location uh, to help you finance your second and then if you're sharing employees, you want something called a common paymaster. That's what I was talking about earlier so that you can share them across. Because if not, you could run into like leasing employees from one location to the other, or you'd have to issue them separate, um, separate paychecks. And if you lease employees or you're considered to be leasing employees, you would get charged sales tax. Um, so. That is uh, good reasons to kind of keep everything separate. And then once you do get to two locations, I would definitely suggest getting, if you have trademarks, even if you don't have trademarks, if you just have the concept, um, your uh, like service marks, your domain recipes, names. all that stuff, domain name, put all that stuff underneath an IP holding company and then license it back. Um, because once you get them to be profitable, uh, moving that over is considered license income, which is passive income as well. And then you can make distributions out of there. So you're at six total locations with Bounce Grill or soon to be six? Yeah. So that's, yep. is, that, is that six of the LLCs? No. So um, LLC ones are Sylvania location. Perrysburg is another one. Toledo Syndicate, which is like our uh, common paymaster and, and holder for those. And then under there, we have our um, equipment leasing company. So one other thing that we did uh, just to be super risk adverse is we moved all of our assets into like the actual equipment at a restaurant into a licensing company that equipment leases it back, I should say a leasing company. So the restaurants themselves, like an individual restaurant doesn't own its own uh, equipment. All it really has is, is the lease for the space, the utility bills, stuff like that, all of which is assignable and it doesn't own the concept either. And so basically all the money flows in and it flows right back out. And um, like if for whatever reason we were to have some type of catastrophic uh, incident uh, where we're getting sued at like one location or whatever, there's really nothing for them to attach to. So that's five. Yep. And then we have the IP holding company that has all of our um, our trademarks and stuff. We have the distribution company, which is called Campus. And we have the farm. And then we have the franchising company. Awesome. Sean, do you have a follow-up from that? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess, what did the accountant say? I guess, what would Bob say? Because I've, again, I've talked to you, Eric, about, um, like, kind of profit-first people when they have to reconcile many things. And most restaurant accounting companies, if you they say, like, don't have more than two bank accounts. And, like, I just imagine when an accounting company would be like, you tell me how many entities that we have to reconcile and switch things back and forth and whatever. I mean, I mean, you're the boss, so you can just tell them to do whatever you want. But um, did you have to find a special accountant or a company or somebody who is, uh, I guess, enthusiastic about doing this for you? Um, yeah, I'll give you a few things. So one, my mom is a CPA. So as far as uh, who's going to complain about it, it's not going to be her. Um Two, you've got to balance out what your insurance agent says, uh, because your insurance agent will say, you don't really have to do that. Your accountant will also say, you don't really have to do that. It's really only your lawyer who's going to be like, yeah, that's a good idea. Keep everything separate. And it's really from a risk management standpoint, more than anything, your accountant will find other workarounds to accomplish what you want. Your insurance agent will list uh, other LLCs as re- related entities, and you can have an umbrella policy, so you don't you don't really need to have separate uh, insurance policies and stuff. It's really just your lawyer who's going to tell you that. Um, but that's the way I like to do it. Everybody in business is different. I am not an attorney, so uh, you know you don't have to follow everything I say. I would definitely get get your trio together. Get a really good lawyer, get a really good accountant, get a really good insurance agent, have them all sit down in a room, and uh, that way they don't bounce back and forth. I would definitely suggest probably like once a quarter, uh, if you're doing well and can afford the time to do it, take them out to lunch and um, talk about what's going on and let them give you some insight. Does um, Do you guys use any of like the more cloud-based like accounting type softwares like the Restaurant 365? We use a Razzie or any of those? Yeah, the account on top of that, correct? So we do Restaurant 365. And the beautiful thing about that is you only have to pay for locations if they're POS integrated. So all of these like background entities, like a leasing company, IP holding company, um, even the franchise company and some of the related entities that are over there, the warehouse, all of that stuff can you can do the accounting uh, within R365, uh, like basically for free which is pretty cool. Um, and then you works, can also works, set up. Yeah, it works so, the same as, as QuickBooks. It's a non-POS connection entities, and you could have hundreds of them. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, and then really because it's on a common database, you can create these inner uh, intercompany transactions, and they will post automatically. So, like, if you are charging your store, say, like, 3% or 1% or 5%, for whatever the reason is, uh, off of net sales, it can just post in both entities by itself. And it really just doesn't, it doesn't take that much. You were talking about reconciling bank accounts and stuff. Um, we have like a number of bank accounts for each one of the entities. And I just do it that way just to keep it simple, uh, for me from a cash flow management standpoint. Um, but all of those just pull, uh, intraday into restaurant 365 and they post by themselves. So it's, it's not that much. It's not that bad. Sweet. Oh. Eric, we're using David Denny for the lawyer because he does business in Tennessee. Soon enough, I'll be getting Bob on board because we'll need him. And then get a really good insurance agent too. But they're all remote, so I'm going to have to do a virtual lunch. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, David uh, actually recently reached out to me. They're doing a, a, a uh, 
an event in Dallas that I might be attending. That could be cool. But I did want to make sure we we uh, pivoted to um, the the conversation. Unless Sean, do you have any other follow up questions, or anybody have follow up questions around this idea of business entities and how they structure that before we move on? Because I do know that there was a lot of interest in uh, the your your how you structure your training uh, and the different badges. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I would love to get more into that as well. So, I mean, where does it make sense for you just kind of to, to, do you want to start at the top or Callan, do you have questions? You're muted. Sorry. Can I just ask one closing thought on that subject and hopefully it's quick, but obviously Prakash, you're very knowledgeable on all of this. Was there, was it YouTube? Was it just working with those, that core group? Like, how did you learn all about this and like how would you recommend someone else start to become as knowledgeable as you on the legal entity thing yeah, yeah. So um, definitely definitely not youtube for that um <laughs> youtube for the farm is like perfectly cool youtube to learn how to build something perfectly cool to learn how to set up llc's and the ideal structure which short-term and long-term implications talk to a lawyer uh they go to school for a long period of time to do that um We've had like a number of attorneys. They're kind of like doctors. So they've all got specialties. Um, but early on, uh, I was lucky enough. Toledo isn't that big of a city. It's definitely not like a major metro. But we had some pretty legit uh, restaurateurs that have come out of Toledo that have scaled to multiple units. And um, even at the very beginning, uh, we had good resources of people who have been around the block and have run concepts and chains for decades um and so they gave us good insight and then just working with attorneys and they will also give you good insight is there a good place to find an attorney like how does that even start um so first and foremost like general business attorney is one that's going to help you set up llcs and do your general contracts and stuff and then when you're ready to start to file trademarks and stuff you need a trademark attorney um, if you're doing any type of like fundraising or anything like that, um, you, you need somebody who's well-versed in either M&A or securities, uh, which is going to be somebody different. So it's kind of like when you go to the doctor and there's like a cardiologist and, you know, an orthopedic guy and whatever there is the same thing for lawyers. And sometimes when you're starting out, you don't hundred percent realize that, that there's like a bunch of different attorneys, uh, with different specialties. But if you go to, I know it sounds expensive, um, but keep it short. When you talk to them, go to a larger law firm that has all these specialties in house and get in good with them. And they will point you in the right direction lawyers, professional services, there's no way around it. They are expensive, but they will save you money in a longer term, you know, time and time again. So. Great advice. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, So pivoting back to the training. uh, training. Yeah. So different badges. Now this is a creation of your own mind, right? You built this from scratch. Got some inspiration. You said. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it started out earlier on. I, like I mentioned earlier, I've never worked in a restaurant before uh, starting balance. And so when we started up, it was kind of always the classic dichotomy. Like I was doing front of house stuff with customers and my business partner, CJ was doing back of house stuff. Um, And 
as we hired in our first group of people, they started talking a lot about the difference between front of house and back of house. And I really never understood why there's so much like animosity and culture that's so negative that's built around these two groups in the restaurant. It just didn't make sense. Um, <laughs> I think it's pay. I think there's regret yeah. or resentment. Uh, could could be pay for sure. I mean, I, I think there's there's like a lot of stress that's involved there. Every a restaurant's a stressful job. Like there's no way around it, right? I mean, it's a stressful environment. A lot of people who work in restaurants, that's what they love about it. To be honest with you, that's what I love. When we're getting crushed and we've got a a full what we call like red board and it's just like completely packed and we're struggling to to get food out and and just like keep up. That's exciting for me. And I think it's exciting for a lot of people, but it is undoubtedly stressful. And um, so basically we, we needed specialized knowledge and I knew I didn't want to do the crew member thing. That's what a lot of people do in like QSR or when you get into fast casual where everybody's just crew or you've got a front house crew and a back of house crew. And what I realized pretty quick is, is that there's four major disciplines within our restaurant. There's the group that makes uh, all the food. There's the group that makes all the drinks. There's the group that deals with customers and provides an experience. And then there's a prep group that has to prepare and organize uh, everything, deal with vendors, make sure the product's there so that the production teams can do their thing. So when we were looking at how do we create um, like our system of employment, it just kind of naturally evolved from there. There was like my team, there was my business partner's team. We had like 10 employees, so it's not like a huge team, but I kind of oversaw the bar. I oversaw customer service. He oversaw the kitchen, oversaw prep. Um, and we quickly started to realize that we had people on our team that were better at certain things than the others. And they pretty much fell into these subgroups. For me, it was customer service versus making teas. People either enjoyed them or they were just outright better at it. And then same thing in the kitchen. Some people could do great um, on the hotline and other people couldn't prep for, for, you know, for the life of them. Some people could do them both. And so as we employed people and brought them onto our team and realized that they're all really individual, they bring with them their own personality, their own skill set, their own want to like learn different things. And uh, I think the last big input that created the system would be, I always thought employee meetings where they were asking for a raise was just really awkward. My business partner would uh, make me do that. It would make me do all the hiring, the firing and the promotions and stuff. Um, and I never really had a problem with the hiring or the firing, but like the promotions thing and trying to keep everything equal among everybody else, um, was difficult. I, I always thought it was kind of BS, the culture around you're not supposed to talk about your pay rate. Like who does that? Every, of course you're going to talk about your pay rate. That's so yeah. dumb. And trying to hide it, it just doesn't make any sense. So I knew there had to be a formula that we could easily explain to everybody who worked at Balance. And that would be the open, transparent formula so that anybody could calculate anyone else's pay rate. And we needed enough flexibility in there to where you know people could be self-driven in their advancement. They could get a raise pretty much whenever they wanted. 
Um, and they didn't have to come to us for it. And it wasn't going to be some subjective, emotional reason as to why somebody's getting a raise and somebody else isn't. Um, it's really simple. It's just a meritocracy. Uh, you, we provide training, you train, uh, you take the course, you pass the course, you do in-store training, you train and do these processes and tasks to a uniform standard. And then uh, you get a raise and that allows you to work a specific shift on the schedule. So if it's a prep shift, everybody who's trained and gets access to that prep shift, they can all prep a 40 pound case of peppers in the same amount of time. They can all uh, prep the same amount of onions to the same spec in the same amount of time. So there's mutual respect in that group of those who are trained to do prep um, and they get a raise for doing it. And the one thing that I think makes our thing different, because I think a lot of places have something similar in the sense that, you know, there are different positions and you learn different positions, but they attach a different pay rate to those different positions. And what we do with the badge system is that it's a cumulative pay rate um, because we feel like people should be able to take that on. Um, they carry the knowledge with them. And if you guys have worked in the restaurant before, it's I said it's, it can be difficult. It can be stressful for like those specific hours of the day and the rest of the time. It can be a lot of fun and it can be pretty chill. So I call that moment like the shit hit the fan moment. Um, and during that time, everybody just needs to pitch in and help. And that's what makes working in a restaurant environment really fun is when everybody's not only like pulling their weight into it, but one team's lagging behind, the other one's picking up, whatever it is, everybody's able to pitch in and help. So like the crew member thing makes sense for those high stress points, but then you need standardization for everybody to go back to their specialty. Um, so there's a lot of reasons as to why we do it and it's gotten more complex over the years, but that's how we got started and that's the foundation of it. What has been the key evolution for you? Like what were the different pivotal transformative part of getting to where you are today? The very first one was splitting them out into four different positions. Um, because before that, it was just front of house and back of house. And we would hire like that. We would recruit like that. And there was no clear definition. We had two different pay rates. There was a front of house pay rate and a back of house pay rate. Super simple. And then um, when we announced that, okay, we're going to take these pay rates apart. And we're going to say, here's your base rate. And then you can learn these four positions. And when you've learned them all, uh, that's awesome. And so we, we broke them out into these four. And then the next big pivotal moment was when we created the shift leader elevated level. So we went from four across to four across and two up. And so that created a grid of eight. And we stayed that way for a long time like that. It was like that for probably like seven years. Um, and it worked super well. It was very simple to understand. You could gain elite badges in every single one of the positions. You didn't have to take on responsibility in a certain area if you didn't want to. Uh, it was it was cool. I mean, it definitely worked. And then. We just got a little bit more sophisticated. We added in what I call like 201 level badges, but like expedite is used to be a, a kitchen function. And we've specialized that because there's too much knowledge in there for, to train to everybody else. And we wanted to have shifts that were dedicated to expedite. Um, we make all our own sauces in-house. We're kind of like a sauce concept 
more than anything, to be honest with you. Every one of our menu items has a sauce. So we um, like that's obviously like a specialized body of knowledge. You could call that a prep position, but it's really not. And it's beneficial for multiple people to know how to do sauce. Some people that do front of house might like to do sauce. It's just adds more flexibility. So we created that. Um, so and then, up to this point, there's, you said there's eight different verticals, right? Each vertical has two tiers. Four verticals. Four. Okay. Two tiers, eight badges. Eight badges. Okay. Got it. And the second tier is the, the, the next set of badges, right? So there's an entry level in the four verticals. And then there's a yeah. second layer, which is like yeah. doing a little bit more. And then you, you said you added 2.0, which is like the next. Yep. So after that, we got into, now we've got a pool of, uh, it's like 150, 180 people who work here. So we needed like some ownership over all of the elites, all of the specialists. What we found out is one of the other things that is really important. I didn't mention earlier, and I'm going to get back to what a specialist is in a minute, but we realized that we needed to embed our culture of training into the system. So one of the things we did is anybody who's a shift leader has to be able to train. So what makes an elite? We don't just call them shift leaders because they can lead shifts and they can train uh, brand advocates or a base level. So we needed that because we don't want people running shifts and just yelling at people to tell them what to do. If you can't train somebody how to do something, you don't deserve to lead a shift. That makes you a manager and not a leader. So, um, I know these are like fine distinctions, but they really matter. And you can't be in charge of leading other people if you don't have a training mindset because it just turns you into like an autocrat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, It's a huge difference. So, um, yeah. All this curriculum that you developed for all these, these four different verticals and the the different tiers within the verticals, this is all lives on Google docs, right? No, no, no. So when we, first started let me let me finish my thought on what a specialist is and then i'll I'll come back so training elites who trains the elites at first it was either me or cj but that's not sustainable that's not scalable so we created a position called a specialist and the specialist is the one who trains all the elites and they oversee the training of all the base level employees and they're basically like the elites elite so that's one half of our leadership team, the other half of our leadership team is the one that actually runs operations. So they're the ones that are assigned to individual stores. My business partner oversees both of those teams. And uh, that's that's pretty much our organization, how it works and how it scales. When we open up new stores for franchises or open up a new market, um, whoever the operator is, usually it's the franchisee, will hire three people. They'll hire a front house specialist, a back house specialist, and a T-bar specialist. They will come out and they will learn operations themselves and we will pair those specialists with our specialists. So we have two teams so that we can go out and open a new region. We can continue to promote elites and run our normal course of, of business. Um, when we have like disciplinary issues, um, with an employee, it's, uh, it's typically they've either it's a policy issue or it's a performance issue, right? You can kind of boil it down to one of those two things. And if it's a policy issue, I usually deal with it. Um, and if it's a performance issue, it goes to those specialists and they get retrained. Uh, we believe in training is like the main solution for all of it. And 
as a result, we get a really great average tenure. Our average tenure is like 2.7 years um, because it, we feel like, one, if you hire really well, that's important. Two, if you put people in control of their own pay rate and their own job and they can put it together the way that they want, they're never put into situations that they didn't sign up for. Um, and then third, uh, if, you know, everybody's like uh, their performance is like a sine wave, right? Like you can be the best person, but everybody's going to have shitty days and everybody's going to have good days. And you just have to work within that band. But as people fall out of that and have repeated bad shifts, uh, we just put them back through training. Um, and if for whatever reason they don't want to do that anymore, they can always just drop the badge. They know what the, the result of that is. So it's a pretty good system. You asked how we hold all the information. Um, we never have put it into Google Docs. Um, we've always felt like video is really important. I knew how to like build websites and WordPress uh, a long time ago. And so I bought uh, this um, platform you can buy for like 200 bucks one time. I think it's called LearnDash and it's just a plugin and it allows you to create custom post types for like quizzes and you can basically just build out like an internal website. And that was the first thing I did. But then I realized it was like really difficult to keep updated and it didn't have all of the like the reporting and tracking that I needed. Uh, and I'd shot all the videos and edited them. Um, and we had like an in-house videographer who was like doing that. And that was just not it was cost prohibitive for uh, even an organization our size. And so um, we ended up getting an LMS system um, and redoing everything uh, as we went through COVID and we shot everything in like two to three minute long clips. So what that LMS? Ever, LMS is a learning management system. Yeah. But what, which one are you using? Oh, we use expand share. They're actually right. based in Ohio too. Uh, they're great because you can just buy their LMS software and pay monthly for it but they also do content creation. So we actually work with them to outsource all of our content creation. Have you found, and Sean, I haven't forgotten you. Have you found with the LMS with your younger generation of workers, are they, is there a mobile friendly version of that or is it accessible through mobile? Okay, cool. Yeah, they have an app. Um, All of our in-store training is in there too, because they have a module like checklists basically or task lists. So that makes it really cool. So the way our LMS works is, you uh, take like a prereq quiz. So when you identify, hey, I want to train into the kitchen, uh, then you're training into what we call samurai. You take a prereq quiz, uh, which is just really basic. What do you know about it? All that kind of stuff helps to size you up. And then you watch all the videos. And then you take another quiz at the end of watching all your videos that qualifies you to work your in-store training. And then we have an individual checklist for every single day, every single shift that you work. So shift one through 10 and the trainee can see it. So they have read access to theirs and the trainer has read and write so they can actually check it off. So anybody who's working that day can see exactly how much they accomplished. Um, and we even got our LMS company to integrate with our scheduling company. So uh, we use seven shifts to create schedules. It's a really great software. I'm sure a lot of people know about it. They have a ton of integrations one of the things they did was integrate with our LMS system. So we can actually like assign those tasks to specific shifts and we can monitor the exact amount of money that we're spending on training an individual person. Uh, Sean, go ahead and uh, get your question in. 
So now I have like a handful, but uh, from a high level, one is is uh, one huddle is that considered an LMS? That's for Eric. Two is when you do the different badges. Do you actually have like physical badges that people earn, or do you just call it like a digital badge? And three, one thing that I come into, and it's definitely with like one store, but I'm sure it happens at every store. I have a really similar system of like leads or different levels, which has been extremely helpful. And you guys are way more comprehensive. But like for the example of if there's a like a dishwasher who's amazing, has a great personality, you know, does the job really, really well, but doesn't want to do anything else, which is like almost more valuable because you can keep a hard position around for longer. But they aren't learning. They don't. They're not interested in learning more skills. But they still ask for more money because they've been around for so long and they know they're good. Um, it's like, what do you do in those scenarios if they're asking for raises and they don't have badges and they don't want to go to the next position, but you want to keep them around because nowadays in those positions they can go on to the next place if they don't because mm-hmm. money sometimes does trump all, even if you have a great culture. Oh, it definitely does. Yeah. I mean, culture comes after paying people well. (laughs) If you don't pay people well, your culture isn't worth shit. So um, I 100% agree with that. I didn't uh, give you the exact formula, but we have the formula is this. You come in and we give you a lift, an initial lift, and we give you access to things like PTO if you have open availability. So that's step one. Step two is all of your train badges. And step three, you get a kicker for every year that you're here. So in that scenario, I would say two things. One, they can stay doing just that position and they can continue to get annual raises with the way that we have our system structured. Um, but two, I would also say as hard as it could be, I personally probably wouldn't keep somebody like that around. I want somebody who's constantly uh, eager to learn and grow and develop professionally and um contribute more to the company that's that is the people i'm looking to hire so if i had somebody who interviewed and all they wanted to do was like one thing day in and day out i probably wouldn't give them an offer yeah this specific situation i have run into it quite a bit is um usually the person has some learning disability like and they they are aware of it or like um you know immigrant mother who has many things to worry about at home and they don't want to take on the stress somewhere else. And I'm like, again, specifically the dishwasher position. I'm like, that position is so hard to fill. But once you fill it, if you have somebody there, it's like it's the biggest stress relief ever. Uh, maybe different in the QSR world, but, uh, but yeah, that's just something that like I struggle with, but like a detail within the structured system that I'm still like, it's almost like a gray area of how much you do it. I think the real solution is find a way to pay all your people way above, way above market. So when you, you don't feel bad about saying no or, hold on for another six months, but I don't know. Just, uh, yeah. sure. The insight's helpful. And then I guess about the badges, if you actually have physical badges that people like put on their coat shirt, whatever hat, or if it's more. Yeah. Just, like, yeah. I'm not super into that stuff, but luckily my business partner is. And so we've gotten like pins and stuff like that. People put them on their hat and I don't know. It's cool. When, whenever anybody earns a badge, we, we make it like a thing. So we use Slack for internal employee communication. And so we'll make sure that there's a general channel post about the fact that somebody earned a new badge. We get them some uniform items and yeah, they get a pin and stuff. Awesome. That was a good question yeah. though. Uh, like we post leads and like, you know, on a place where everybody sees more of like a piece of paper, but I have found like I've had people when we don't post like the, like we don't hang a certificate the day they got it. They're like, Where's my thing? Like they want to be recognized for it. So I was just 
yeah, I think, and especially in the kitchen world where there's a little more, usually there's a little more ego involved. Like if we haven't done this, but if like putting a little, you know, military sticker on their chef coat or something is super yeah. helpful. Yeah. A lot of so people do different colored hats is how they track. They, they have yeah. different hat colors for different tiers and t-shirts. Elites, colors, uh, for us, they have like an upgraded um, apron. So you can always recognize an elite that way. And they also get to wear black gloves. And those are just like the small things that matter. We also give them a certificate and on the certificate lists all the badges and checks off what they have. So every time they get a raise, they always know what else is available for them to earn. Um, So they know how far they are in the process. And that's like key for gamification. Yeah. I think that apron thing is a great idea. I see see your uh, hand up. I want to give Sean the chance though. You asked about objectivity, Sean. I don't know if you got, that question answered. Oh no, that's that kind of that's kind of what I was going at with the dishwasher. It's like you can be objective and have very clear steps, but at the same time, if there's you know a unique circumstance with somebody super valuable but doesn't want to, still giving that person a raise because of time or exceptional performance in that one position, you know, yeah. versus average performance. Now's a great time to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. There are a lot of elements to consider when growing your restaurant. Are you connecting with your diners enough and with the right message? Or could your kitchen put out more orders than your dining area has room for? It can be a lot and very overwhelming when you got into this business for the food and the people. And that's why restaurants get pop menu. Pop menu is the restaurant technology designed to make growing your restaurant easy with pop menu. You can attract more guests to your website. That's designed to easily collect their contact info and data. So you can see what your guests love and why they dine with you with pop menu. You can also stay top of mind and build authentic relationships with guests by using modern Modern technology that drives new and repeat business. And also, PopMenu lets you make all your systems work better together, improve margins, and conquer the chaos of restaurants' digital presence. PopMenu, technology for restaurants ready to grow. If you are a Restaurant Unstoppable listener, you can get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Restaurant Unstoppable is partnering with CORE, Children of Restaurant Employees. CORE, Children of Restaurant Employees, invites you to learn more about their mission and their fall campaign, Serving Up Hope. CORE is an industry-focused nonprofit that provides financial grants to restaurant employees with children who face a life-altering medical crisis or natural disaster. Serving Up Hope is a national fundraising campaign and an opportunity for the restaurant industry to come together to serve those who will serve us daily. There is complete flexibility for when and how you raise money and CORE has ideas to help. Whether you choose to make a flat donation or fundraise through in-store promotions, CORE provides turnkey resources to make your partnership as simple and successful as possible. It does not stop there. Brands who commit to raising $15,000 or 
or more for core during this campaign receive logo recognition on the wall of hope, a nationally promoted landing page that highlights the companies that have chosen to come together for our industry. Choose to participate and you will help build a culture of caring and demonstrate your support for employees and those that qualify for a grant across the country. More than 70% of core grantees are single mothers and they critically need your help to continue to provide funds. So why wait? Showcase your commitment and leadership to help employees in our industry and sign up for the Serving Up Hope campaign today. Visit coregives.org to learn more. Together, we can serve up hope for restaurant families this fall. This episode is brought to you by Reachify. Are you overwhelmed by phone calls during a peak mealtime hours? Why let the phone ring when Reachify can direct callers to online ordering, reservations, catering, and so much more. Instead of losing business, automatically turn calls into orders. Infuse your phone with smart technology that can save you time and money and increase revenue for your restaurant. And while Reachify is paying for itself, you can allow your employees to focus on other tasks instead of taking orders and answering facts that are easily found online. Driving digital sales should be a priority as it's been shown to lead to stronger loyalty and higher ticket averages. Not to mention you're getting that precious customer data that you can market to. Reachify, be in control of the conversations you want to have when you're able to have them. Hop on to reachify.io slash unstoppable to find out how to revolutionize the way your restaurant does business. And when you use that link, get one month free after onboarding. Again, that's reachify.io slash unstoppable. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often, Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-Day Pilot Program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. Alan, go for it. Okay, so obviously it sounds like you're hiring high-performing, awesome people. 
So in my mind, that makes me think that everyone's going to want a badge like at all times and always be growing. So how do you, how do you manage, I guess the budget there? Like how do you mm-hmm. keep giving people raises for the good work that they're doing? But just like, how do you actually manage that? Um, well, it's, it's a great question and there's a lot there. So I'm going to try and answer it uh, and hopefully not like get lost on a tangent. Um, First thing, how do you manage everybody wanting to get raises? So one, that's one of the reasons like we have a pretty hands-off disciplinary approach because if you do get a write-up or you are late or whatever, you're not going to be prioritized for cross-training. That's It's really just that simple. We have uh, a priority list for who gets to cross-train and we only train in one batch at a time uh, so that even in a large organization, um, everybody gets their fair shot at training. They're not stretched out for a number of different weeks. Um, things like that, you know, like they, when they come up for training, they're off of their other badges and they, that's what they're focused on. They're focused on training and then they're going to work in that position for 30 days before they get back into rotating through shifts based on their different badges, which rotating through shifts based on their different badges is the other key anchoring point of why we have great tenure is because, um, you know, Sean, you mentioned like this person wants to come in and like uh, just wash dishes all day, every day. In my experience doing this for like 13 years, that is the minority. Most people really appreciate having a variety in their schedule um, and being able to work shifts around their time off requests and things like that. And if all they do is work night shifts and wash dishes they're going to burn out and they're going to leave. That's been my experience time and time again. And so having people cross-chain into multiple badges does mean you pay them more, but you get a lot more schedule flexibility. That schedule flexibility means, of course, there are upper limits to it, um, but it is worth paying people more if they are cross-trained on the simple basis that you can run a higher like SPLH or IPLH. Basically, what I mean is you can schedule... I had mentioned earlier, like, uh, the day at a restaurant, right? Like, uh, we do lunch service, we do dinner service. During lunch, we'll probably have like one major peak or two peaks, two hours, uh, that are very high volume, a thousand or twelve hundred dollars an hour. And then at dinner, you'll have two or three of those. And that is, that is it. That is like that. Those are the peak points, but you don't have to schedule for that. You can schedule less. And if people are cross chain, they can help out across multiple positions. And you can get through scheduling less overall hours on your schedule by paying people more for being cross-trained. And that's a difficult thing to like get people in operations to, to wrap their mind around, but you can stretch a lot further uh, when people are cross-trained. Um, and then as far as quantifying training, we do give people a budget for it. Um, so when we create schedules, they get an operational budget and they get a training budget that's dependent on a number of different factors, how many people we need to hire, if we've got a new opening coming up or anything like that, we need to do a significant amount of cross training, then we open up that training budget, but it is a separate budget than our operation schedule. Hey, how did you come up with that, um, the algorithm for what you can afford to do for the training budget. Like how, how do you mathematically make that happen? Like, is that something you have knowledge off the top of your head or is that something a deeper dive? 
No, I mean, I wish it was an algorithm. I honestly just look at it and say, look, guys, you guys can spend a thousand bucks a week on training. That's it. Figure it out. And they have to figure it out. Uh, I don't, I don't get like super into it. I really just look at it from a budgeting standpoint and say, this is, you know, this is the amount I want to spend on it. It's never really like a closed thing. They always have some budget for training. Um, because there's always some new stressor on the schedule, either the kitchen's getting busier or the bar is getting slower, or the bar is getting busier or whatever it is. There are needs. People um, switch, people go back to school, whatever it is. So every time we make a schedule, we know how tight that schedule is. Like you can heat map a schedule based on when people have requests off as well. So you kind of know that you're going to be shorthanded in the kitchen or you're going to be shorthanded out front for a period of time. Um, so we open it up first internally, like an internal job posting and say, who wants to cross train into this? And um, then we process that through based on what our needs are. Um, Bob, I see your hand up um, while Daniel's on. I, I want to address he, he, you messaged me a text message, Daniel with a question asked. I think it was kind of covered a little bit. Um, but this seems like it's a question specific to the different assets that you have under the equipment, the company that you have for leasing out your assets. Um, did you have yeah. a specific, we, we did cover the business entities pretty well in depth while you were away. Um, but maybe there was a specific question in reference to that, that you wanted to ask. Yeah. First off, Prakash, my name is Daniel Ham. I actually live in Columbus, Ohio. What's up, dude? Uh, and I, my best friend, I was literally the best man at his wedding and vice versa, lives in Perrysburg. So I'm going to be making a trip up maybe later this month. Literally, my side my side mission is to come visit your Perrysburg location. So um, I'll hit you up. I listened to your podcast, I think, three times. Uh, it was so full of knowledge that uh, I was trying to listen to it again this morning before the call. But again, family was in town. So I wanted to spend some time with them. I got a one-year-old. Um, but they're, they were in visiting. So, um, so you had, uh, went over how you list, you know, you have all these different, um, LLCs and entities legally, but you had mentioned something along the lines of how you list all of your assets, like your equipment, but then you lease them back. So I was hoping that you could touch maybe a little bit on that. If you already covered it, I have no issue re re listening no, to no. this though. Yeah, um, it's really just a, like a strategy for asset protection and stuff. Um, it's like the extreme of risk management, but you know, restaurants are a very risky business. And so um, we have found that having the equipment leasing just keeps the actual operating entity really thin. So for example, like Perrysburg, for example, the lease is with the entity for Perrysburg, all the utilities and stuff but it doesn't have any assets. All the assets, it has a checking account that at any given time has less than 10 grand in it. And uh, all the money flows back out and it goes to either the holding company that has the payroll in it and, um, or it pays all its bills directly for vendors or it pays its uh, equipment lease, which allows us to siphon money that way. And then after the equipment is paid down, um, and we don't have loans on it or anything, um, you know, we can still maintain that uh, passive revenue flow, just like our our intellectual property holdings. So 
You have six locations. Are those all corporate? I saw you had a Denver uh, and a, a Dallas store. Yeah, we have four locations that are four corporate. That are corporate. Two, two that are franchised so far. So you, have, open. you have four corporate stores, and then you have um, your hydroponic farm. How many different legal entities do you guys have for the fact that there's just five different businesses that I'm seeing there? And I'm just, it's more so I have an understanding of it. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's mind blowing. So the, there's three units that are all corporate in Toledo. Each one has its own LLC. They flow up underneath one holding company for the region so that we can share employees across there. And then also underneath that holding company is the asset leasing company that leases assets across the three Toledo restaurants. Then we have the Cleveland restaurant, which is just its own thing. Um, and then we have the IP holding company. We have the warehousing and distribution company. And we have the farm. So that's eight. And then we have the franchise group, which is its own thing. And then the franchisees have their own legal structure. Prakash's mom's also an accountant. So this is how he does it without (laughs) kicking and screaming. (laughs) With all the cash flow management. Um, We do have only two minutes left. Um, I want to make sure that uh, Bob gets his last question in. Um, We did go into this a little bit more in detail. Uh, So I think Daniel, if you want to go watch the you know yeah. earlier half of the conversation, a lot of that will be there. Uh, Bob, or go just ahead. hit me up when you come into go town. Um, I'll That's have it. Eric give you my cell phone number and just text me when you come. You know, you're coming up to Perrysburg or whatever, and uh, I'll meet you up and I'll show you around, and it'll make more sense, I think, in person. Cool, awesome. awesome. I appreciate Thank it. Man. Yeah, go for it, Bob. Okay, uh, my question would be on in regards to your training program and your payroll structures. Uh, there has to be some sort of direct relation to the revenue of the specific location that they're working in. Um, what happens when you plateau your sales, but your training personnel are still still have headroom? How do you handle that? Um, what do you mean that your training personnel have additional headroom? I think that's the part I don't. Okay. You, in, in your, in your structural business plan, which I'm pretty sure you have, uh, and you've got a designated target for labor costs. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. All right. That's based on a specific revenue level. Yes. What ha- what happens when the revenue level plateaus? How do you how do you accommodate increasing the labor when the, the revenue plateaus? Um so revenue is uh it's important to match labor to revenue. That's without a doubt, but I find it to be unfair for people in operations to um, be penalized for the pay rate that we choose to pay employees. And so what I mean by that is, is they have two metrics to go off of. The main one is SPLH, which is a great metric because we just, uh, match sales per a specific labor hour. So if we want our all in sales and our all in labor percentage to be like 25%, including direct and indirect, uh, then their SPLH is 80 and our average pay rate is 20. And so you can do the math and that's how you get to 25%. So that, that's, so. How, that's how, that's how you do it. That's how, 
that's how it's indicated through the revenue of the business plan. As as the revenue fluctuates up, down, sideways, uh, your SBLA uh, structural accommodates that and, and yeah. tells you what the percentage rates are going to be based upon that. The problem comes when you have a store that's underperforming. Yeah, they still have to run at the same SPLH level. There's no so, so there is a penalty to the operations if the if the store isn't isn't performing at at the higher rate of uh you know the, the direct relationship between uh profitability and productivity on the operational side has got to be part of that calculation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Even as we open up into new markets and those markets have different pay rates and they have different uh, menu costs and stuff, the the ultimate I, f- I have found is a metric called IPLH or items per labor hour. Right, and right. when we stop talking about labor percentages and we start talking about SPLH or IPLH, it's an easier thing to discuss, even amongst all employees. Um, and one of the things that we've done, so Seven Shifts has like a dashboard and we've made it available to everyone so they can log in. And not only can you see your own schedule, you can see the revenue curve and you can see the SPLH and the IPLH. And uh, I've found that through that transparency, that employees themselves compete to have their shift, have the best SPLH. And right. we don't really need to like, you know, penalize people for for not being at their labor percentage when in reality like you can publicly and transparently share a metric and uh, create a culture around competing to get the best uh, metric right yeah we we, we have a, a similar approach so um, I, I understand for sure it's a good question um, I I have I mean people- you have an old you and I could have probably a 10 hour conversation about this, but well, you um, can come to Perrysburg too, if you want, <laughs> we could keep going for two or three more hours easily with this. Well, guy. At, at, at the very least. No, I mean, uh, our, our model structure produces a non-operating revenue stream that covers payroll, labor, all inclusive. Okay. Without any activity in the restaurant at all. And tell me about that. But, and and by the way, and by the way, no hourly employees. It's all salary. Interesting. Yeah, you'll have to tell me about that. Yeah, that's a, that's a bigger that's a bigger conversation. Right. Um, honestly, this was this was really great. I really do appreciate you taking the time, Prakash. Come back and go go deeper. Um, I want to see where you guys are in five years from now, man. The next time I roll through Ohio, I'd love to get you back on the show to to talk about all the things you've been up to over the next five years. I know you're going great places. Uh, is there anything that you were hoping to discuss that that didn't come out? Um, anything that you wish you could have shared a little bit more on during our interview time together? Uh, now's the time to get it out. Yeah, no, I, I think we, um, you know, we, we dived into those two topics really well, like, uh, legal structure and risk management and that kind of entity structuring and, um, dived into the farm a bit and we dived into, um, how we do training and scheduling and stuff. So I think all of those are great topics. All great stuff, man. I would have loved to go deeper into technology and uh, your stack, but you know, that we'll save that for the next conversation, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I did end up 
going back on what I said and uh, sticking with Revel, but I've got good reasons as to why. Oh, uh, can you share that before we say goodbye? Yeah, for sure. So I had created this whole matrix of all the things I wanted out of an ideal POS. And that was at kind of the POS level. And then uh, I shared earlier, we went with R365. That's like the profit level. And then you have to have a MarTech stack. It's going to drive revenue into your POS. So I kind of view it as these three segments. Um, they talk about it like a tech stack, but I feel like it's three different ones. That's a that's a process to go from bringing in customers to grain revenue, and then you have to book the revenue, and then you have to turn revenue into profit. And so uh, each one of those stacks can kind of do that for you. Um, there was a lot I wanted to do on the MarTech stack. I think the future of what I want to create is a common user account that allows me to bring all customer data. So from third-party delivery, matched to a customer profile, which is extremely difficult to do, some fuzzy logic and stuff like that you can do within a CDP to do that, uh, but then have all other streams come in, whether they place an order in-store on a kiosk, on the first-party app, on the web, whatever it is, and have them be able to sign into a common singular user account so their order history and everything is shared. Um, so it's like omni-channel in, then you've got to have omni-channel out for your marketing. So you can use that same common database for SMS marketing, email marketing, push notification, social marketing, all of that, um, and be able to like recognize your customers. And then POS is really all about what I've found is um, we're not using kiosks through Revel. We're not doing anything else besides mainly their kitchen display system. So as I met with Revel and I went over everything I wanted, it turned out uh, pretty much everything was on their roadmap or was in their beta program. So they gave me access to their EIP or their early adopter program. And they hooked me up with uh, like a couple dozen hours uh, with their Revel Navigators team so that I could work directly with their product of and uh, roll out some of the more cutting edge features that I wanted. And so I didn't have to make a switch in the POS, but I've significantly shrunk what I do within the POS uh, like I don't do inventory through there. I don't do scheduling. I don't take really even take orders. All the orders either come in through online integrations, so third-party aggregation, through our first-party app, web, and uh, email, and then through our kiosk. Um, and then that allows me to have like that common, uh, like singular source of truth for all our customer data, and then have a single source of truth for all of our order data, and then have all of that flow back to R365. So we can turn that revenue into profit. Were you using Lunchbox to collect all that data? Was that your? Lunchbox is a great system. Um, I spoke a lot with the deal and stuff, and they've got a lot going on there, especially with like their 2.0 um, thing. But ultimately, uh, no, I didn't go with Lunchbox. I developed uh, or I've got the CDP centrally within our app provider. Um and so our app and our web ordering, and then we've integrated Byte Kiosk to that, uh, integrated Revel to that. Um, so we've done like a lot of integrations there. Who'd you go with your your uh, for your your? You calling it your first party app? Yeah. So we use a company out of Russia. It's called Loyalty Plants. Okay. Um, they're pretty. Uh, they're not out of Russia anymore. I shouldn't even say that. They unfortunately had to move. Um, because of everything that's going on there, which is a whole wild that thing. Sucks. Um, yeah, so they're like pretty de- decentralized. Um, like our account rep is in South Korea and the CEO is in Dubai now. So wild. that 
that sucks. They uh, they spread out quite a bit, but Thoughts yeah, we've been, uh, no, we don't use Olo. It's got direct integration to Revel. Interesting. Yeah, so no Olo. The issue with Olo, and I do love them. They're super integrated with a lot of stuff, but they got into Olo Pay, and um, anytime you get into payments, man, it's like straight downhill for that tech service. Well, we're eight minutes past, man. But I'm if you're if you're still rocking and rolling, I don't need to stop you. <laughs> this is your window to yeah. get out if you have other commitments. Dude, it's all good, man. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this was great. Um, happy to answer other questions. Uh, if not, let's do it again. Yeah, man, this you're always welcome back. Um, and uh, feel free to, to you know make some recommendations to me, Prakash. You know the, the network really well. Um, if you have people you'd like to hear from, uh, I'll do everything I can to try to get them into the network and to, to reciprocate what you're doing for us today. Uh, it comes a lot, means a lot more when it comes from people like you versus coming from me. So, for sure, I give you more contact. Put me to work. Yeah, a couple more. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much, man. Just, I just can't say thank you enough for your generosity uh, with your time and wisdom. Um, you know, you're always welcome back for sure. Anybody want to say guys. anything? Final words before we say goodbye. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Dude, thank keep doing much. what you're doing because it's. Thanks, guys. I've 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 listened to probably 500 of the episodes so far. I know Sean's listened to everyone, so I'm trying to catch up. But the reality is that you might have the most impressive and if you don't it's you know top top five for sure of like just interviews and all the knowledge that you i appreciate you daniel i I look forward to meeting you in person um when you come up here and make that trip so make sure and hit me up all right thank you to everyone who showed up thank you again prakash and um we'll see you guys next time There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guests today uh, for coming back on to do this virtual setting Q&A. Prakash Karam, John Donnie, you were awesome, my man. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I loved my first recording with Prakash. And um, I knew he was impressive, but our network really loved that recording. So... Uh, it's it's my goal to go after the you know the the Prakash Karam Chandani's of the world to get them on to to go deeper and uh, to connect my listeners with the, this generation's leaders and hopefully we can close the knowledge gap. That's what we're here to do to change the world through inspiring, empowering, and transforming the industry. We transform the industry by giving you our listeners an aiming point. Your job is to give your team members your your employees an aiming point of what the job done right looks like. But where do you go to find what the job done right looks like? The you know I guess the leaders of today. The people who are kicking ass cross country, uh, they're here to, to share their story, to paint that picture of perfection of what it's like or what it looks like to, to do the job right. And um, we're we're connecting you guys. We're going deeper. We're 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 here to serve. Um, and I would love to have you be a part of Restaurant Unstoppable Network. So if you're not already in the network, head to 1000, or I should say at restaurantunstoppable.com slash 1025. Find the link in the show notes for your third day trial. Get over there, um, join the network, be a part of the conversation. When you sign up for the network right now, uh, if you buy into a year, you get a free hat, a free shirt, and a mug, um, and 30 minutes with me. 
uh, one-on-one 30 minutes with me. I, I listen to you. I hear where your challenges are, and I try to uh, connect you specifically with people in my network to help you out. So that sounds interesting. What are you waiting for? Get over there. Can't wait to meet you. And um, can't say goodbye without saying thank you to the people who make this show possible. Thank you to Jerry Parisi for your copywriting and editing at Sumadre Podcast. Thank you, Callan Miola, our community manager, doing an amazing job over at Restaurant Unstoppable Network. Um, and thank you, Anatazin, with the good kind consulting for your executive support and uh, leadership. And uh, I don't know where I'd be without you guys. Thank you so much. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.